welcome back to the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast. You're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Are you here for a D-backs therapy session after that tough weekend? We are breaking down first impressions from the opening series against the Padres next. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diamondbacks Podcast. I'm your host, Millwick Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, millwickthomas 24myportfoliocom I'm there you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter. At Creator Thomas twenty four for my at Creator Thomas twenty four for my personal account, or just look up Lockdown Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms. So please continue to tell your friends. As I mentioned today. On today's podcast, we are doing first impressions from the D-backs during the opening series. We're going to talk lineups, pitching, defense, of course. And to wrap up the pod, it's going to be something a little different today because recently I had a loss in my family. I recently lost my grandfather this past weekend. So I want to wrap up the pod by doing a little tribute to him. He's the reason I'm even doing this podcast. He's the reason I love baseball. He's the reason I talk baseball. So just want to wrap up the pod with a little uh, a little celebration, a little celebration podcast tribute, whatever you want to call it, to my grandfather at the end. So that's how we'll wrap today's pod. So I'm going to try to keep my emotions up because just talking about that just now, just uh, if you could look on the YouTube channel, it brought a little twinkle to my eyes. So we'll see how this pod wraps up because uh, I might shed a couple tears. Uh, this might not just be a D-backs therapy session from opening weekend. This also might be the Miller Thomas therapy session about his grandfather's loss at the end of this podcast. That That's not very funny at all, but sometimes you got to laugh through the pain. But before we get there, let me, you know, <clears throat> let me get these tears out of my eyes. Let me try to com- compartmentalize in. Let's talk about the D-backs opening series. <sighs> I first want to start with the offense because the D-backs offense this past weekend was not very good. It did not do anything. Actually, it has probably been the worst offensive baseball. There's some arguments for the Orioles and some other teams out there. The Twins and Guardians had an argument before that Sunday game, but the D-backs are right there in the conversation for worst baseball and offense. They are dead last in not just the National League, but in all of Major League Baseball and hits third worst OPS. You look up and down their lineup. They're just not much going on at all with anybody like David Peralta is probably the most locked in guy at the plate. I really liked how David Peralta has looked at the plate this year. I think he's probably our best player right now as it currently stands. We know what he did in spring training, led the D-backs in home runs during spring training. We know he came into camp as one of those best shapes of my life scenarios. He came into camp. He was training differently during the offseason. He said, hey, I put down the heavyweights and I started picking up the band. I started working on flexibility, working on my core. And David Peralta wanted to come into camp a little bit lighter, a little bit leaner. And so far, that has translated into a little bit more pop and power. And David Peralta has looked pretty good in the D-backs uniform so far. And right now, he's the only current D-backs player with more than two 
hits on the season. Yes, David Peralta leads the Arizona Dimebacks in base hits at three. That's all you need to lead the Dimebacks in base hits, just three. If you look up and down the roster, no player other than David Peralta has more than two hits. Walker and Marte, they have two hits. Everyone else on the roster has one hit or less. So Walker, Marte, Peralta are only three players with multiple hits on this team. No player on this team has more hits than strikeouts. Everyone is even or more strikeouts than hits. So nothing has gone right. Most of these at-bats have looked really uncompetitive. Like that's been the biggest thing that has really stood out to me watching these games. It's There's so many at-bats where I'm like, this this player at the plate is just like kind of half swinging, like maybe a Paven Smith or Geraldo Perdomo, where they just seem a little unconfident, seem a little unsure of the kind of pitch they want to hit or attack. You see a lot of just half swings and half strikeouts up there at the plate where a guy goes back to the bench and he's shaking his head because he know what he wanted to hit, but he wasn't able to pull the trigger. I just see a lot of hesitancy with these batters. I don't know if that's a manager thing because, you know, what, what they're being coached to do when they go up to the plate. Maybe it's too much information. Maybe they're not comfortable up there. I don't know what it is, but these players do not look that comfortable at the plate right now. That's not a shock. I mean, Carson Kelly, Dalton Varsho, two of our better offensive players they currently don't even have a hit yet. Carson Kelly has two, has more balls grounded into double plays than he has hits because he has two balls grounded to double plays, which is more than anybody else on this team. No hits. Dalton Varsho, we know what kind of player he can be. We've talked about ad nauseum. If Varsho can continue that second half breakout, he will be a huge swing player for the D-backs this season so far. You see what happens during the D-back season when Varsho's not getting hits or not producing runs. This D-backs team as a whole starts not producing runs, so you're going to need Varsho and Kelly to get back on that horse and start hitting some bombs and driving in runs. Or, you know what would be nice? Just a couple of base hits, just a single up the middle. That's all I need. I, I would even take a dribbler down third and Dalton Varsho beating it out for a single. Like, anything just to get these two guys on the bases and just to get their confidence up because I just feel like once you get that first hit out of the way, everything else will loosen up hopefully hopefully take some of these nerves and pressure off because it's the early part of the season so I still don't want to overreact too much I still don't want to put too much emphasis on what we're seeing right now because a lot of this thing a lot of the things that we're seeing now is going to even out like god I can't even think of the dude's name but there's one player in baseball we were talking about it on yesterday's pod with uh, Sully Baseball of Lockdown MLB I forget what his name is I think it's like Stephen Kwan or something who's like 10 for 12 or something crazy on the season like something like that's going to even out not everyone's going to be batting 800 by the time the all-star break uh comes around so we just have to be patient. It's not fun to see your team almost get no hit in the first two games, six innings the first day, seven innings the second day. And like I told Sully Baseball, I think Sean Manaya would have thrown the no-hitter. Uh, you Darvish was like 50 of 90 of strikes on, on strikes. Like 90, like 50 of his 90 pitches went for strikes. That's how I should say it. Sean Manaya, he was locked in. Those six and seventh innings, those were like 12 pitches total in those two innings. So I think Sean Manaya would have thrown a no-hitter if he got a full leash. But thankfully, he was taking out the game. And whenever the D-backs got to the bullpen, that's when we broken up a hit. But just think about the D-backs offense this weekend. If you took the ninth inning away, because that's where all the offense basically came from. That first game, you have the Seth Beer walk-off. Guess what inning that is? The ninth inning. You look at yesterday's game, Sunday's game, because this is Tuesday when this comes out. I record it Monday night, of course. So Tuesday when you're listening to this, it's actually going to be two days ago. And guess what? What happened the ninth inning? 
Cooper Hummel had that three-run bomb. A lot of these runs for the D-backs come late, so it makes you wonder what their offense would have been in the ninth or what the offense would have been on the season, how many runs they would have scored if you've taken the ninth inning away because they've gone a lot of their offense just in that one inning. But some splits I found really interesting about the D-backs offense through their first weekend. Left-handed batters versus left-handed pitching, right? We've talked a lot about how this lineup is too lefty-heavy. There's too many lefty-on-lefty matchups. Well, guess what? Lefty versus lefty this season, 273 average, 606 OPS. Again, that OPS and average is not great, but listen to this. Right-handed batters versus left-handed pitchers, 1 for 23 on the season. Lefty batters are crushing lefty pitchers by D-backs offensive standards, while right-handed batters are non-existent against left-handed pitching. I don't know why that is. I can't, I don't really have an explanation. I'm just giving you, I'm just telling you facts. I'm just, I'm just telling you things that are going on and things that are happening on the diamond. I can't explain to you why it's happening. I'm just telling you what's going on. So right now this D-backs offense needs to get better. One way to make the D-backs offense better is to stop, is to stop. Let me get this right. Stop taking Seth beer out of the lineup. I know Tori Lavello, you don't like the lefty on lefty matchup, but guess what? You can put Cooper Hummel in right field, sit Paven Smith and still play Seth Beer at the DH. Or guess what? I know a lot of people have talked about this on Twitter. Just put Seth Beer at third base. He's going to suck defensively at third. That is fine. Who we have at third now, Drew Ellis, he's all right defensively, and he gives you nothing offensively. I'll take an error a game from Seth Beer because he might hit me a home run. I don't feel that confident you know, and anyone else who might play third base. And honestly, so far from the candidates of who I saw at third base this past weekend, I might want Alcantara over Drew Ellis at third base right now. But regardless, we have to keep Seth Beers bat in the lineup every day. I don't know. I, I don't care who it costs. I don't really need to know. As long as it's not Marte, Dalton Varsho, or Carson Kelly, um, Seth Beers lineup or Seth Beers bat should be in the lineup every day because he's too damn good of an offensive player. Now, I'll bet on you. Let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. Let me get the tease right. I'll bet the next time there's a lefty on the mound, Tori Lovello sits Seth Beer in the lineup. And do you know where you have to go if you want to place a bet? You need to go to Bet Online because Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. And also, thank you for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Lockdown MLB Prospects host Lindsey Crosby is a prospect encyclopedia. He's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, all right, all right. Let's get back into the pod. And now let's discuss the D-backs pitching. We discussed the offense, the lineup struggles, but now let's discuss the pitching because even though the D-backs offense has been non-existent, I don't think the pitching has been that bad. Brent Strom, he's got a lot of cardio in these last couple days, these last three days, because Brent Strom has been going back and forth from the mound, back to the bench, because there's always one to two times a game where uh, a D-backs pitcher, let's say, gets in some trouble. Maybe there's a couple guys on bases. All of a sudden, they keep throwing balls, and it's like, oh, 
Here I come, wrench drum again. Got to go make my 30-second walk to the mound because these D-backs pitchers need his guidance to get through because I, I need to go track the numbers. I need to see the stats pre and post a wrench drum visit because I feel like every time a D-backs pitcher talked to wrench drum, they came out and got like a strikeout the next at bat or at least got out of the inning or got a, got out of whatever jam they were in. So I have been impressed with wrench drum so far. Uh, one negative so far about the pitching, not from the results or production we've seen, but I got this news today, you know, scrolling on Twitter. I'm sure all you guys have seen it since this is coming out on Tuesday. No Zach Gallen pitching what would be today against the Houston Astros. Found that very surprising. Haven't gotten more information yet. So as I'm recording this, 6.30 p.m. on Monday, right now all I know is Zach Gallen not starting Tuesday. Maybe they just want to give him some extra time since he was dealing with that shoulder inflammation from the offseason. Maybe he had a setback. Maybe he's going to have to go get surgery. I don't know. Those are just speculations. I don't know what the reason is. So let's hope and send our prayers out to Zach Allen that he gets better because, uh, I mean, we already know the D-backs aren't going to the postseason or anywhere special this season, but we definitely don't have a chance if Zach Allen is not healthy. So hopefully, hopefully, Gallon could come back to full strength and look like the beast he was those first couple years in a D-backs uniform. But let's actually get back to breaking down the results this past weekend because, like I said before, the pitching wasn't too bad. I wouldn't put the blame on them for why the D-backs lost this past weekend. I first want to start with Merrill Kelly because I thought Merrill Kelly looked very good against the Padres. He was the one battling Sean Manaya in that almost no-hitter, and he was racking up the strikeouts. I mean, Merrill Kelly had seven strikeouts in just four innings pitch. His stuff looked very good. He did have some higher accounts in terms of uh, higher pitch counts than he normally does. A couple of three ball, two strike, you know, full counts against these batters. That's not something Merrill Kelly typically does. He's usually a low a walk kind of a guy. He tries not to throw a ton of pitches. So it was a, a little bit of a shock to see Merrill Kelly struggling with a little bit of command, but I think that was more just because we're coming back from an extent. We're basically in an extended spring training. So I think that was more of a rust thing as to why he was, his, his command was not always on, but his stuff was really good at the same time. That's how he was able to rack up the seven strikeouts. His velo, very good, sat in the mid 90s. Averaged 94 and a half miles per hour on that fastball. Was able to get up to like 94.7, 94.8. Just barely scraped. Was was trying to sniff that 95, but not able to just crack it, at least this past weekend, maybe in future starts. So very encouraged to see Merrill Kelly, what he was able to do against a very good Padres offense, despite being without, uh, despite not having Fernando Tatis there. Zach Davies, I thought he was solid. I didn't think he was great, but I thought he was good for basically two-thirds of the game. Just whenever two outs was on the board, Davies decided to struggle because basically every inning he put someone on when there was two outs on the board. He would give up hits with two outs. All the runs basically came with two outs. So I like Davies for most of the game. It's just the fact whenever there was two outs on the board, Davies just start to struggle out of nowhere, and I don't really know why. So if Davies can fix his two-out problem, he could be a good number four, number five starter for the D-backs, but that is a big if. Caleb, Caleb Smith I want to talk about now because he was the one that started. He, he's the one that started in that Sunday shellacking with the D-backs lost 10-5, to and Caleb Smith just, I mean, good God. I mean, was anyone surprised with that result Sunday by Caleb Smith? How many times... I come on this pod and I told you guys the splits scream they are screeching in your ear they're making my ears bleed 
do not put Caleb Smith in as a starter. That's what all the splits say. He's for his, uh, I think for last season as a starter, Caleb Smith as a starter was like a six ERA. This is off the top of my head because I haven't looked it up. But I know as a reliever for a fact, he had a 2.7 ERA as a reliever. He had like an ERA north of six as a starter last season. So seeing the numbers, I don't know why the D-backs thought, hey, let's try Caleb Smith out there and see what he can do and see what he can do for us. You know who should have been out there on the mound? The guy who came in for Caleb Smith after he stunk up the joint, Corbin Martin, because Corbin Martin probably should have gotten the opportunity to be the number four, number five starter if Zach Allen isn't quite ready and Luke Weaver's going back into the bullpen because Caleb Smith just offers me no upside. There's no ceiling. There's no potential there. And I already know what he is as a starter. He's not very good. I don't know what Corbin Martin is because you know who I wanted to come out that bullpen with that start I saw on Sunday? I wanted to see Caleb Smith. A one-inning game, five earned runs allowed. That's the perfect kind of game where Caleb Smith comes in and pitches the next four innings and gives up one earned run, walks three, and strikes out four. And he's been good in those situations. He's been good as the long relief guy coming out the bullpen for the D-backs. It's when you try to make him the starter. That's when you usually need a long reliever to come in for Caleb Smith. And that's what Corbin Martin had to do on Sunday, who I thought did a pretty solid job. There was an instance where Brett Strom had to come out and give him a quick pep talk and give him a quick attaboy. And Corbin Martin did work himself out of some jams after working himself in some jams. But overall, it was a solid 2022 debut for Corbin Martin with two innings, struck out five batters. So overall, I thought Corbin Martin looked really good. I think he's someone I've talked about before. Maybe he's the star, not the star to watch, but the player to watch in the second half of the season for the D-backs as he starts to get more opportunities down the stretch after he gets his sea legs under him the first part of the season as a young guy. I think he's someone to watch in the second half of the season. So I was very happy to see Corbin Martin come out, have a pretty good debut as a long reliever. And then the last thing I want to talk about with the pitching, because we're not going to go here and go through the whole staff and every reliever and everything. Just some quick thoughts I had on some dudes that we saw this past weekend. So I want to wrap up the pitching conversation by talking about the two relievers the D-back signed this offseason to help stabilize the back end of the bullpen because Ian Kennedy and Mark Melanson both made their debut this past weekend. They both came in on Saturday, I believe, and Ian Kennedy did not look good. He came in right away and gave up basically a couple runs and did not look good up there on the mound at all. His stuff was not working for him. Batters were able to attack it pretty quickly and lock in and target it and just send it, you know, some pretty hard contact. So Ian Kennedy did not look ready for his D-backs debut on Saturday. Hopefully that's just a product of it still being basically spring training. Hopefully that's not the guy we signed because I would hate for the trend or the pattern of Mike Hazen signing past their prime pitchers to continue because we've seen it with the Rondones and the Guerreras and the Sorias and Davinsky's like Tyler Clipper too like Mike Hazen just loves signing past their prime pitchers especially relievers and Ian Kendi looked like one of those guys Saturdays looked like one of those guys on Saturday and Mark Melanson didn't look much better can't tell Marte didn't help him out but he still gave up uh one hit with the dude already on the bases that led to that run scoring, even though I don't think it was an earned run against Mark Melanson. You guys could tell me if I'm wrong, but actually I got the baseball reference pulled up right here. Let's see if Mark Melanson 
um, was credited. Uh, those are his batting stats, so we don't want to look at that. Mark Melanson was credited with an earned run in that game. So yeah, him and Ian Kennedy both gave up earned runs in that one game in both of their debut outings. So neither one of them looked good. And those are the those are supposed to be the two go-tos out the bullpen. So if our go-tos are looking shaky in their debut, that is not a good omen for the rest of this D-back season for the bullpen. But hey, everyone else has looked pretty good. I mean, Castellanos didn't look great yesterday. Luke Weaver didn't look great in his debut. And that's another guy I don't think we've talked about. He's going on the 10-day injured list, so we won't see Luke Weaver for over a week as well. So no Weaver, no Zach Allen. The D-backs are going to have Bumgarner on the bump tonight against Luis Garcia of the Houston Astros. So we'll see how that goes. We won't preview today's game or this this uh, little mini-series against the Astros. We don't got a preview coming, but hopefully we got a recap coming with one of the locked-on Astros guys. Still trying to figure that out and trying to work out the schedule details, so be on the lookout for that. But we have to talk about this D-backs defense and our first impressions from this D-backs defense during this opening series, but it looks like this defense probably could have used some more energy out there on the field because there were a couple errors from this past weekend. I think one thing that could have helped them with their fielding is rockauto.com because they help you with everything, especially your auto parts. Because with the ever-increasing number of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Wind or often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. Save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30%, 50%, even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or a car dealership? Rock Auto is a family business serving do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in there. How did you hear about us, box? So they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com. was a pretty weird segue to that Rock Auto ad because in my mind, I thought it was going to be a Bilt Bar ad. So I was like, oh, the defense needed some Bilt Bars to help them get the errors out their system. Then little did I know, oh, it's actually a Rock Auto ad. So that's why that segue wasn't as clean as it normally is for me. I thought I'm a pretty, I like to think I'm a pretty decent segue guy going from a segment to ad read. And that time was not my best uh, work. So I'll work on that for the future, in the future for you guys. Man, my words are being all scrambled today. But let's talk about the defense. First impressions from the D-backs defense this past weekend. You guys know I love the babble, so let's get right into it. Tori Lavello has talked about how the game, it's a, com it's a common cliche we hear in sports. It's a game of inches. Baseball, it's a game of inches. Well, we say that about all sports. Football, basketball, it's all a game of inches. Toyla Velo has talked about how it's a game of inches, especially defensively. And so far, it seems like the D-backs are stuck on the metric system because we've seen a whole bunch of defensive blunders this past weekend. We had that one Christian Walker play when he was playing first base. It was a huge critical part of the game. You had Trent Grisham at first, and you had that little liner to Christian Walker. Very hard hit. Don't know if he could have caught it, but if he did catch it, he could have tagged the runner, Trent Grisham, and got a double play, and that would have got us out the inning, but instead, or at least maybe got us two outs. I don't remember how many outs were on the board, but instead, he 
misplays the ball. It's not an error, but he's not able to make the catch, and he's only able to get Grisham out at second, the lead runner. The guy is safe at first with a fielder's choice, but the next batter comes up, and I think he scores both of them. So right there is one example where the D-backs' fortunes did not swing their way when it came to defense, and that is not the only example we have from this past weekend because Mark Melanson was on the mound, and then you had that uh, fumble by the infield with that one ball that ended up leading to a run scoring opportunity as well. You had that Drew Ellis play where he was trying to make a throw from third to first base and completely overthrew the first baseman after making a couple of nice plays earlier at third base. You had Alcantara. He had a play at third base where a ball was smoked down the line. He dove for it and it just got under his glove. There were so many instances of either errors or just close plays or plays that were just not able to be made where it really was a game of inches because you look at this D-back series, it was very close. And a couple of those plays led directly to runs being scored. So I'm not saying the D-backs win these series if they make those defensive plays, but you never know. I mean, as bad as the D-backs offense looked all weekend, Sunday was the only game where we got blown out and we got shellacked. The first three games of the series, I mean, we won the first game on a Seth B or walk-off. And the next two were very winnable. We did have an opportunity in that second game. In the third game, uh, maybe we didn't give get as much of an opportunity. Or I forget. I, all these games are jumbled. I forget which game we had the tying run coming up to the plate. It was either Friday or Saturday. But either way, we had chances in the first three games to tie it up or take the lead or do something. Those games are close. Only the Sunday game was not close. And the defense was a big reason as to why we lost those first three games. You take the defense combination with the offense not doing a damn thing at the plate. And I think those are two huge reasons why the D, why the D-backs were not able to have a better opening weekend. So going forward, I don't know if the D-backs defense is going to get better, but one way to make the offense better prioritize offense over defense. Put Seth Beer at third base, do whatever you have to do. Go with the hot hands of offense. And guess what? Jake McCarthy is a pretty good defensive player. I wouldn't mind seeing him hit more instead of Paven Smith just because of how athletic Jake McCarthy is in the outfield. He's made some credible defensive plays. He made a couple incredible defensive plays on Sunday in the outfield. So I wouldn't mind seeing him a little bit more, even though he looks kind of lost at the plate as well. But considering Pavin Smith doesn't look any better at the plate, I wouldn't mind seeing Jake McCarthy's athleticism a little bit more around the diamond. So that would just be a a little food for thought for Tori Lovello. But overall, the defense just needs to get better. It'll get better with Nick Ahmed um, coming back maybe soon. We'll see you with Josh Rojas. I mean, if you do play Jake McCarthy more in right field, that will make the defense better as well. But I don't care about defense. I think we need to score more runs. I think the defense is more of a talking point when you're not putting runs on the board. I don't think we would. Uh, I don't think defense even gets brought up on today's pod. If the D-backs score, you know, four runs a game this series and maybe split this series with the Padres. If the Padres and the D-backs split this series, I don't think we're talking about defense. But unfortunately, that didn't happen, and defense was a huge reason and part of why the D-backs are not able to get done this weekend. Now, we have talked about the first impressions from the D-backs this season. I'm hoping, um, I'm checking my data right now because it's saying I only have one bar on my Wi-Fi signal right now. So I'm hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping this podcast is going to work good because I'm hoping the signal's not too weak for me for my audio part of this podcast but now I want to talk to you guys about my grandfather and just do a little tribute I guess a little um 
tribute segment of this podcast to my grandfather because as I mentioned in the top of this podcast, I would not be doing this podcast. I would not be talking baseball. I would not be watching baseball if it was not for my grandfather who I lost this past weekend. I call my grandfather because I am Hispanic. I am Puerto Rican. So to me, my grandfather's name is Poppy. And um, he was just so instrumental in my life in terms of doing what I do now because everyone knows Anyone who knows me knows I absolutely love sports. I eat, breathe sports like everyone else who does sports podcasts. I love basketball. I love football. And of course, I love baseball. I love talking. It's all I want to talk about. It's mostly all I think about. And I don't know if any of that would have been possible if it wasn't for my grandfather because baseball was my first love. I don't know if I love baseball the most nowadays, I do love basketball and football a lot, but baseball was my first love. It was the first sport I got into, and it was all because of my poppy because he used to come down all the time from New York City. I grew up in New Jersey, so he would always take the bus down from New York City to New Jersey, and it would literally drop him off on the corner, and he would just walk over to our house, and he would always, one of the first things he put on was put on the Yankees game or any baseball game that was on because my grandfather just absolutely love to sit down in front of a TV, sober, didn't need no beer, and just watch a baseball game. And growing up as a young kid, I didn't love baseball at first. I thought it was really boring. I didn't want to watch it. I didn't find it very interesting. But as I got a little bit older, my stepfather also liked to watch baseball with my grandfather. It was kind of how they bonded, um, you know, with my mother being around. So they kind of bonded. They were both Yankees fans. So they always had the Yankees games on TV. So growing up as a kid, they were always enjoying the Yankees. And Everyone else around me was Yankee fans. Like, I grew up in New Jersey. Everyone was Yankees fans. So, guess what? I was kind of annoyed. So, I wanted to be a little bit of a contrarian. So, probably around 10 to 12 years old, I was like, hey, since my grandfather and stepfather both like the New York, both like the New York Yankees, I'm going to go the other way with this. That's how I got into the Boston Red Sox. And I ended up really liking the Red Sox, Mina Ramirez, Big Poppy, and that whole crew back in the mid-2000s. But... I would have never even got into baseball or started watching baseball if it wasn't for my grandfather constantly coming over and throwing the game on. I mean, I would be like, Poppy, can we please watch something else? I just want to watch cartoons. I'm a kid. And he always got what he wanted because it wasn't like he, I mean, he was making a trip down to see us and my mother really wanted to please him. So we always had baseball games on and eventually I grew to love it. It was a great, a great way for us to bond and it wasn't just watching the games with him because he was also a person, even though he was in his 70s, he always was not afraid to go out there and get dirty with us playing sports. Like my grandfather, up until he went to the nursing home, which was around in his late 70s, up until he was like 75, 76, 77 years old, my grandfather was out there in the streets playing sports with us. Like he was a legit athlete. He was running up and down the basketball court with us. We would play baseball. We would play wiffle ball. We would play tennis. We did it all, and he's instrumental into what I'm doing now. I would not be talking sports. I would not love sports if it was not for my grandfather. All those summers growing up, playing catch outside with the ball glove, me and my grandfather used to go to the baseball game. I remember there was this one game we went to <coughs> where uh... – oh, sorry, guys. I remember there was this one game we went to. It was me, him, my stepfather – 
went to Yankee Stadium. We went to see the Yankees. I think they played Tampa Bay that day. And my stepfather was always like, uh, if we were going to a baseball game, he was like, you know, it's expensive. We're not, we're going to eat before. I remember we got Subway. And actually, my stepfather didn't even go with us that day. He actually dropped me and my grandfather off at the ball game. So it was just my grandfather and I, and I had already eaten before the game because I knew it was going to be expensive. My grandfather, he wasn't working. He was just making retirement. So I was like, you know, we're not going to break the old man's pockets, but went to the ball game and my grandfather's very old fashioned. So when we were sitting there in our seats at Yankee Stadium, he looks over to me, he goes and digs into his sock and he pulls out his money because that is always where he kept his money rolled up in his socks and <clears throat> he gave his money to me and I'm sorry if this is just tough to hear. I'm also not trying to, you know, not sound terrible on the mic as I'm tearing up, but he gave his money to me and I got some ice cream. I got a burger too, I think. I mean, it was only 20 bucks, so maybe I only got one or the other, but I definitely got some ice cream and a helmet. I remember for sure. So going to the D-backs game on Sunday against the Padres, the one thing I wanted was some ice cream and a cup <clears throat> Man, this is getting a lot harder than I thought. All I wanted was some ice cream and a cup, and I got it. Made me think of my grandfather. Excuse me. Made me think of my grandfather. I just wanted to say, I love you, Poppy. I'm going to miss you. Now, that's it for this edition of the Locked on Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to today's podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always, stay safe and stay healthy. Deuces!